we went to these global systems, I think we're all seeing now, and there is that hunger to reconnect, we were disconnected from the places where food, clothing, and shelter come from. The processes, those critically important, timeless skills. That's Jeannie Carver. I'm Cara Duffy, and this is the Powerful Ladies Podcast. Well, thank you for in- inviting me. It's um, It was a very big surprise, and um, I'm, thank you for including me. Yeah, of course. <laughs> well, let's dive right in and tell everyone your name, where you are in the world, and what you're up to. What I'm up to. Um, my name is Jeannie Carver, and I'm sitting at our ranch headquarters of our family ranch in... Um, in north central Oregon, which is Oregon's interior high desert. So I'm at our family ranch, which is Imperial Stock Ranch. This is our 152nd year of continuous operation. But it's also uh, the location from which I operate my newer business, which is Shaniko Wool Company, which is what keeps me very busy today. And it basically is scaling what I've done with our own ranch to include other ranches in the Western U.S. to support um, U.S. wool and textile manufacturing. How did you decide that that's what you were going to take on? Because it's no small thing. Oh, I didn't decide. (laughs) I I didn't decide it. And I read a little of your background. You were in the apparel and shoe industry specifically, perhaps. And I thought, wow, then you understand some of the what seemingly are insurmountable challenges that I've been up against for the last almost 25 years. So it's not like I chose to do what I'm doing today. I think your life uh, takes various twists and turns, your journey, each one of us. And for me, um, I was in my own other career when I met and married my husband, which brought me home to my roots. And so when you do that and commit your life to sharing with another person, sometimes uh, doors open you didn't expect or jobs come that you never planned or prepared for. And that is exactly what happened. For a decade, we were just focused on the management of natural resources. And I was, you know, his partner in that in any way possible. And then in 1999, we made a phone call that would change our life. The the first of about three phone calls that would change our life. And it was in 1999 after shearing that we called our longtime wool buyer. We'd been selling the wool from this ranch for 100 years to that company. And um, we called to say, we're ready to haul the wool. What's the price this year? What will we get? Because in agriculture, you're a price taker, typically not a price maker. And the answer was, we're really sorry, folks but we're not buying. We're closing our processing and going offshore like everyone else. And it was a stunning answer to a simple question, right? It was the day that offshoring arrived on our doorstep that day, unannounced, and it left you, you know, completely shocked as to what your future would be. And so that is the incident that led to what I'm doing today. 
you know, obviously when something that shocking crosses your path, there's lots of different ways that people handle it. They could accept it. They could surrender to it. You chose the third option, which is we're going to figure it out. And where does that tenacity come from? Well, we have a lot of topics to cover today, I think. (laughs) Where does that come from? Um, From the time I was a little girl, I was outside. I was always outside, you know, begging my parents for horses, first of all, until they finally succumbed and I got horses. But I was an outdoor tomboy, um, very loved the physical and the outdoor world and became um, an athlete in college, uh, Division I athlete. And actually, I was a hurdler. So if that doesn't tell you something about obstacles, <laughs> you know, I would run the four by, I would run the four, I was the lead off for our collegiate team and the four by four relay. But I also, my main event was 400 meter hurdles. And it's like, for me, I almost could run the 400 meter hurdles as fast as I could run an open 400 meter on the flat on the relay. It's because I'm really motivated by those obstacles. It, each one just propels you propels you to the next. And so what prepared me for this? Um, uh, Several things. Probably that fact. I'm very competitive, fiercely competitive, uh, love obstacles or challenges. And And my upbringing, you know, my parents always said, as maybe all parents do, you can do anything you want to in life. You don't don't let anyone tell you you can't. You can achieve anything you want to do. And so one of the things was I love the land. And my husband said, if we don't find our own markets for what the sheep provide, they will be gone off this landscape. How do you tell? There's a host of things here, Kara. How do you tell the creator that what they've given us doesn't matter anymore? How do you say that? We watched 26,000 sheep producers in the U.S. go out of the sheep business between just 96 and 2000, that four-year period, because a lot due to this loss of textile infrastructure and the move to offshoring. And, you know, how how do you just watch this happen um, when you know that wool is a miracle fiber that has been the core of humankind's textiles for more than 10,000 years. So my husband said, either find a way or sheep will be gone. And so uh, the greatest asset I had was that I didn't know I couldn't do it. I didn't know that I couldn't do it, right? And so you simply begin. And I began the journey and here we are, you know, 24 years later. What are you most proud of? along that journey specifically? Uh, Well, I'm most proud of the fact that no one's been able to make me quit. (laughs) So so there you go. Um, No one can make me quit. It's not that I know anything. It's that I persevere. And my, my life in athletics and then later mountaineering has taught me the significance of focusing on the work in front of you. Focus on the work in front of you and just um, give it hard, honest effort. And if that propels you to the next phase, the next step, what a great motivator. And I, you know, I think that's true for all of us. If we simply begin a work, work on what's in front of us, each small victory propels you forward. 
And, and it's not like I had a plan or a goal or a vision. I didn't even have a business plan. I didn't have a business plan actually for about 12 years down this road before I actually started to develop a business plan. First of all, I didn't know what one was. So I didn't know I needed one. Um, so you just began. And I think what I'm proudest of is that we're still going. We're still standing, as the saying is, and carrying forward. And um, we have not been defeated. So as long as I'm not completely defeated, I will carry forward. Well, I love that you're an example of why we don't need business plans. I fight with my clients on a regular basis about not needing the plan, but needing to do the work and needing to keep you know, exploring what the next possibility is. So I love mm-hmm. that it, it took you 12 years to have one. You know, how, <laughs> how has stepping into this leadership space within this community, how has it shown you what um, America is made of and how has it shown you about, more about the power of community? Well, I wouldn't be where I am today without the help and support of a whole lot of people. And I start with my husband, who is now gone. But the greatest fan of my work, the greatest supporter of my work as a partner, and um, a very good businessman that I watched and learned from, I had to answer to him, right? And so that's if I could answer to him, then we were we were going to be okay, right? And so uh, that's number one. It starts there, close to home. But I reached first, just as we had in the management of the agricultural operation, we reached in the 80s to local agency partners, our Soil and Water Conservation District, Natural Resource Conservation Service, to help us with a management plan with the health of natural resources as the focus. And that led us forward on our journey in sustainability, conservation first, sustainability next, and then today, regenerative work in agriculture. Just as we were doing with that, I reached locally to the fiber artisans, textile artisans near me, who I accidentally became aware of. Not it, it wasn't my field. But I remember walking into a gallery when I was delivering lamb to the back door of the kitchens in Bend, Oregon, which is our closest market. And I walked by a gallery and I saw these beautiful textiles hanging on display and it was like a magnet. And I walked in and I saw these gorgeous artwork out of fiber, looked at the tag, wrote down the name, found her and called her the next day, explained who I was. I was very early in my journey. This was like 2000. I just barely had yarns figured out from the wool. I had something clean from the greasy wool and something saleable. I didn't know how I was gonna sell it or if anybody would care or buy it. But I saw that and I called her, I told my story and I said, would you like to work with these beautiful Oregon sunlight yarns? This was a sunlight harvest. This is the magic of soil and seeds and grasslands and sunlight. And then grazing animals like sheep, biting those plants, stimulating the root development, seed production, revitalizing landscapes when they're grazing in a well-managed program, right? And they convert that vegetable matter, that sunlight energy in a plant to other usable forms of protein that have given us life for thousands of years. 
food, clothing, and shelter are all from that one animal who asks us for nothing. So that's that wool is a converted sunlight is converted sunlight energy. I said to this woman, would you like to work with Oregon Sunlight Yarns? And she said, oh, absolutely. And she was the beginning and she brought another and another. And pretty soon I had 20 women, primarily women, textile artisans within 120 miles of our ranch who were weaving, felting, spinning, knitting, crochet. We even had the the sewing, right? The cut Mm -hmm. and sew of the fabrics building us. And so those women taught me, they mentored me. We had so much fun together. I just saw them a week ago. I was uh, the keynote speaker at a weaving conference, 600 attendees. I gave the keynote address and many of them were in the room and they were all part of what I've done. And I brought them all with me that evening. And it was so wonderful to see them you know, stand at the end of that presentation and honor the work we've done collectively. But see, then they helped me move on out to those textile manufacturing partners left in the United States, the spinning companies, the dyers, the weavers, the knitters, the cut and sew. These are people who have reinvented themselves again and again and supported my effort for 24 years in any way they could and made me stronger and made this possible. So together, without them, I'm nothing. I have greasy wool. Nobody wants that. And what I've been able to do is bring scaled projects to them that helps them survive. So we are stronger together than we are individually. It, it's a it's a lesson in how collaboratively we're greater than we are alone. Well, it's a great lesson also in how to that collaborations require to revitalize local economies. Like it's that's right. We I, I think we get a little I think for some people we get a little romanticized about globalization and other people it's a less romantic and maybe more on the just strictly capitalism side of things. But there's I think that we forget what the American dream real elements included and it was being able to work and live and have community all within an area that was manageable like we didn't have to go far to do it um being able to do your craft and your work and whatever that looked like and throughout the day interact with other people in your neighborhood or town or area because we've I think especially after what we've been going through the past couple of years, like there's that craving of having real life interactions and being able to, to engage with people in a local element that feels like you're creating something. And in addition to creating something together, you're really able to support each other as well. Like, you know, being able to do simple things like who can, who, who can have, who has milk or who can watch the kids or who wants to come over for a barbecue? Like, we need that community at different levels. And I think that there's a lot of missing in that today based on how how life has been changing and going so virtual. Yes, um, this is a great example of the whole. Mm-hmm. So everywhere around the planet, we used to have local regional systems for food, clothing, and shelter. That's our survival. We all need I don't care where you are on the planet, food, 
clothing and shelter to survive, plus water. And those used to come all around the world. These are timeless activities. What I do is very timeless. I'm not a trend, This, you know, I'm not that informed, right? I've been engaged in what has been happening for humankind for forever. And when we, when we evolved, if that's the correct term, to becoming more specialized, and then, of course, in a free market system like we live in, which has many blessings, you know, companies saw that they could go elsewhere and get things made more cheaply with cheaper goods and make more profit. And that's, you know, kudos to them. But it's taken decades for everyone to begin to see the destruction that this has contributed to of our health, our communities, our countries, our cultures, and the planet. Start close and just take it out. And so when we went to these global systems, I think we're all seeing now, and there is that hunger to reconnect, we were disconnected from the places where food, clothing, and shelter come from. The processes, those critically important, timeless skills that my local artisans reconnected me to, I didn't know anything about spinning and weaving and knitting, and I knew a little bit about sewing from my mother, but truly... I didn't understand the importance of traditional skills that are as critical today as they have ever been. Mm -hmm. And I realized that they're also important to this country. They're important to every country, mm -hmm. you know? So, so we disconnected from the places, the people, the processes and the people. And here we go today with all these issues in these mm -hmm. factories with, with um, labor conditions and pay and safety and all of the factors that there are when things become anonymous. We get disconnected, and it's someplace far away. We don't know people we don't know. So that connection to place turns out is critically important because place, that connection is also the inspiration for stewardship. So no wonder we've driven our planet to the state status that we're in today is because we weren't we did not remain connected in a way that was critically important. So this work I'm doing today is the greatest work I've ever done. And particularly even the last step, which we haven't talked about, my measurement initiative, which is actually quantifying the actual ecosystem and climate impacts of our ranches that are part of Shanico Wool Company, uh, so that we truly know what our impact is. And again, all those little marks in our journeys, knowing this information is the greatest motivator to do even better. Mm -hmm. Well, I, I, I love that. And I, I think that there is an unfortunate um, and most likely inaccurate idea that people who are in the agricultural ranching communities aren't aware of what's happening to the planet. And it's like just bonkers because you're seeing it every day, every day. Right. And, you know, the conversations that can don't sound very sexy, but like, we have to talk about soil. We have to talk about water. We have to talk about these core fundamentals that we, to your point, every system on this planet is dependent on. Um, so I, I, I love seeing things that are changing that narrative and being like, no, like everyone's a, 
aware of what is and isn't working anymore. And I love that you're bringing people together to fix it and measure it and talk about it. Yeah, I like that you use the word sexy. This is a fun (laughs) part of my journey. So in 1999, here I was on this historic ranch and we were going about our life ranching. That's what we did. Focus on health of natural resources. The recognition we are temporary stewards. We're just here for a short time and then we're gone. There's something much greater than us in the world. And that natural resources are these gifts, gifts of creation. And so we were doing our thing and then 99 happened and then we had to find a new way to sell a harvest in order to continue caring for this landscape. And then that journey started me down this road on all these other lessons. But, you know, we have celebrated chefs. We have winemakers, cheesemakers. We start getting these attachments back to place. Local farmers markets that had a huge evolution the last 25 years. And people first paid attention to this in food because that's what we put in our body. But now, 25, 30, 40 years later, the fashion and textile industry is getting involved in the way that the food people did 30, 40 years ago, right? So I would tell these guys inside the spinning mills in this country, those guys that are left, don't you know you're the new sexy? (laughs) And they would look at me like I'm crazy. But I'm like, you're the forgotten makers because you're not spinning on a wheel by yourself. But, you know, we are losing these critical skills of carding wool. How that is the that once you clean it and comb it, that is a really critical step. And without well carded, combed wool, you don't get a good yarn. But who today in the general public understands what an important skill that is. And so I would tell them, you know, just like I was delivering lamb to chefs who were nose to tail butchers and they were rock stars. I'm trying to tell the mill guys in textiles that they're the same thing. They weren't really buying it, but you're mentioning it because it is the new sexy. And I love it that now you've taken that to agriculture. So here is the sexy story in agriculture. We were doing our work. We lost a market. We started bringing it to fashion companies, you know, the most celebrated partner I've had. You asked me what our greatest accomplishments are earlier. You know, for me, it's that we're still going and we're not, you know, we didn't, we didn't fail yet completely. But, um, you know, Ralph Lauren found me 13 years down that journey during the 2012 London Olympics, there was an uproar over the Chinese-made Olympic uniforms, and they began looking for partners in the U.S. to investigate, well, can we make them in the U.S. completely, and with whom? Mm -hmm. And so I became one of those partners, and then they made a film, told our story uh, ahead of the 2014 Winter Olympics in Sochi, and you see, when they called me, that's the second call that changed our life. Because a brand like that has the power to influence others. Nobody was listening to me. For 13 years, I would say to Dan, I wish somebody would come down this dirt road and see who we are and what we're doing and why it matters. But nobody's going to hear my voice, right? I'm a voice from the, from the wilderness, right? When Ralph Lauren says, they found us, this beautiful wool in these gorgeous 
uniforms that they design and they tell your story other people listen and so then more people came and it truly did change our life what i'm doing today is to is that new sexy in agriculture because for all this time we had our observations are we doing better or doing is the land showing us we're doing a poorer job we had our observations which are pretty legitimate we also had our yield data, which tells you if the soil is giving us a better harvest or not, and the grasslands. We had species counts because we work closely with our agency partners, elk population, deer, antelope, upland game birds, fish, salmon, perhaps the greatest indicator species of the health of the whole system, okay? We had those and we had agency testimony. And then, which we haven't talked about yet, we became involved in what today is the leading third-party audited global standard for sheep and wool production. And our family ranch became the first ranch in the world certified when it launched in 2016. And that was because of the third call I got, which was Patagonia, who asked us to be third-party audited for our land and animal care. And so we went down that road at their request and then became the first ranch in the world audited. Today, Shanico Wool Company is a scaled supply of wool produced here in the Western U.S. that meets the responsible wool standard. And as of last summer, we're also certified to Nativa Regenerative. So that all of that was, none of that was good enough. For some people who are not, involved in agriculture they believe that those of us in agriculture destroy the soil pollute our waters and put methane in the atmosphere and we're just bad characters but the truth of the matter is a brand questioned me straight out in the winter of 19 about the land impacts of our ranching operations and it was the motivation i needed to go to the next step and so I found the science team led by Dr. John Talbot. Today we have five PhD scientists on our team, range scientists and soil scientists. And I said, I want to know the net impact of our ranching operations on an annual basis. And I want to know if we are a net polluter, if you will, or if at the end of the year, we bank a positive environmental value for nature. And so we are now three and a half years into that measurement initiative, which has got all kinds of layers of oversight and credibility. But here's the answer. And we never knew this. Today, I know something we never knew. I only wish that my husband had lived to see this because it confirms everything he believed and everything he worked to deliver and that our oldest son is carrying on today. And that is that each year in this high desert environment where we get less than eight inches of rainfall a year, every drop is precious. We deliver beef, lamb, and wool in support of humankind every year. But for the last three years, we also bank, put in the bank, 60,000 tons of carbon into our soils, net, each year while delivering those harvests for us to be clothed and to be provided a sustenance. 
60,000 tons a year in the last three years on our 32,000 acres of land. And that means we draw down more than 218,000 tons of carbon dioxide out of the atmosphere. And our GHG, our greenhouse gas emissions, is a net negative value. We are positive for nature each year as a family ranching operation while providing food, clothing, and shelter. This is a story that up to now has not been measured. We get no credit for it. No one knows it, including us, except through our gut our gut feeling, right? Mm-hmm. But it's the greatest work I've ever done. And well, um, I'm so excited. We're moving this across all the ranches in Shanico Wool so that we all have that new tool to even motiv- to motivate us to even greater work and in in what we do in family ranching. No, well, I, I love that. And I, I want that standard for every type of business because you know why wouldn't you we we spend so much time looking at profit margins or gdp and it's like yeah but what are we making this better for future generations yes or no are we helping or are we hurting um and i think it's so interesting to see where that measurement tool is going to go like my mind's already going to into Okay, how can you help people who beyond wool use this tool? How can you help? How can your entire county use this tool? How can this whole state of Oregon use the tool? How can we keep expanding it? Because it does, it does like data changes everything. This is why I love spreadsheets, (laughs) you know, as much as I love the creative (laughs) process. Because when you, when you see the truth, all you can do, all you can decide is, are we going to fix it or are we going to lean in because it's working? And now that you know it's working, you're like, okay, we're going to lean in. And not only are we going to lean in, we're going to share it. There's so many unfortunate stories of people in the farming and ranching spaces where it feels like they're never winning. And for a farm and a ranch to have this measurement, to know that here's a way we are winning. And this is a very sexy metric. This is going to you know, give people something to talk about. Well, in agriculture, you know, the kind of the thing is, is you work to break even, you know, you wake, work to break even. And, you know, our input costs continue to go up, labor and um, fuel and all the things that it takes, seed, uh, input costs go up, and when you sell your harvest, nobody wants to pay more. I mean, they, you want it from five years ago. You, there's such a pressure in the commodity markets to keep the price low. That doesn't show up at the grocery store, but it's the people after the producer that's making those margins. So we are, um, we have now a new commodity. If you have a measured verified with all those oversights and checks and you are registered on the leading carbon registries you now have an opportunity for a new income stream if you are delivering it and if you meet certain criteria which we are meeting so i'm happy to say that our son has a contract for a new harvest he's the second year in this is a brand new income stream for doing great work on the land, feeding and clothing ourselves and our neighbors and the human population. 
But it's a game. This is a game changer for family agriculture. And this model is replicable everywhere and scalable. And so I'm in the process. We are working our way through some of the final hurdles, obstacles back to my life. (laughs) And I am I am like a dog on a bone. I'm you know, I am not letting go. My goal today, my vision is to deliver a new income stream to every rancher in Shanico Wool Company. And once we have that done, for anyone that wants my help to move this out, I am here. Well, where my mind goes automatically is, you know, from thinking from a consumer perspective, it's like, great, like who has the certification? Is there, is where, where's the online store where I can only buy products with this online certification? Because it would, it would just like, it would make my life easier to know, like, this is the official certified online store (laughs) that you can get it from because it's, you're so right about not only does the local economy create a stronger, healthier local community, but direct to consumer small businesses also allows there to be more profit sharing across the way versus it switches it from commodity to a resource people want. And the person who wants it the most is getting it directly. And it it shifts how everyone can do business. Like how do we, middlemen aren't bad, but middlemen add layers of complication and cost. And they don't always know the full story to tell, right? If you're selling something made with your wool directly to a person, you're going to tell the richness of the story and suddenly the whole value conversation shifts. Whereas for someone else, it's like, here's another sweater, bye. And you're like, that's it? Well, I don't know if I want to spend more because all you told me was it's another blue sweater next to a much cheaper blue sweater. Yeah. Well, that's an interesting question. So I have to kind of back up and give you my journey and then I need to ask a clarifying question. But You know, when I began this in 99, I did convert it to something saleable and developed products. So in 2000, I put my first yarns in the market. By 2005, I was making finished goods using local artisans, putting them in the market. Uh, By 2000, actually by five, I had a contract with a national clothing retailer and we were selling through their national catalog distribution. And it just evolved at the, by 2015, I had yarns branded with our ranch name in more between four and 500 stores in America. People, and so they got directly to me, directly to us, directly, they touched us, right? Mm -hmm. All these thousands and thousands and thousands of home crafters using yarn from us, right? It was great. We also had boutique apparel in stores and home fashions. And in fact, I was working with some major brands on home textiles and selling yarn to companies like Ralph Lauren and J. Crew who made the sweaters to sell. Mm-hmm. Okay. But in that process, Kara, my husband had developed an incurable regenerative disease. And he was declining health-wise. So by the time Patagonia called me in 2015, it was becoming very evident that I needed to start pulling back and focus on his care. Now, I know this podcast is about women, and this is a story that many women could tell over and over. What I had to do was sell that business, which 
wasn't a business to me. It was never a business. It was my heart. It was my, it was our life. I was selling a piece of our life to people, mm -hmm. right? But I had to completely shift to becoming a full-time caregiver. And I did that, selling off that business, which was a product business, mm -hmm. to focus on Dan's care until um, his death two years ago. Now, before he passed away, I launched Shaniko Wool Company. And why I did that was the brands kept calling and people yeah. for this traceable, sustainably produced wool that only we had because we were the only ones certified. So I, I did make the move to a new business in Shaniko Wool Company in 18 to scale the supply of wool that meets the leading global standards for land care, animal care, and worker welfare. It's a one welfare standard. Mm -hmm. In fact, the responsible wool standard has more than 270 criteria for land care, animal welfare, and worker welfare in it. So when I brought Shaniko Wool, it's a new model. It was to bring a scaled supply of the wool for those who wanted to make products here in the U.S. and wanted this quality of wool supply to start with. I couldn't make the products because I still had Dan to care for, and I could take him with me and visit the ranches and get us through certification and then move that wool into the supply chain. So if you would like me to tell you, I can <laughs> tell you where some of Shaniko wool is today, but you know, I'm not looking at this as an advertising platform. So you tell me, do you want me to talk about some of the companies using Shaniko Wool? Yeah, I, I think that would be great for everyone to to hear. But I think also I'm just thinking about how companies like 3M or Vibram Outsoles have done such a great job of of requiring their partners to carry their their hang tag and their label and to be mm. co-branded. So it's it's giving customers their those big companies are marketing directly to the end user and creating this yeah. training where they're like, okay, if there's that symbol, it's good quality. If there's that symbol, it really is waterproof. And nice. for one of my other businesses, I we were talking to Sequal, which is a material made from recycled plastic taken from the ocean. And in order to even get access to them, you have to fill out a, a form and you have to get light, like certified and you have to, there's all these steps to make sure that you're allowed to carry the label because you have to carry the label with their things. And so I think I'm just hungry for a PR initiative where <laughs> the uh, like American people are being trained that if they see this responsible standard and if they see your brand name, they know like, that's a that's a safe choice because we're at a time right now where it's so overwhelming to make good choices. We know that there are so many businesses and companies making the right choices, and we want to rely on standard standards and people doing the work to tell us, can we eat this? Can we wear it? Is it okay? That we need these certifications. And anytime mm -hmm. there is a powerful certification like you've created, I'm like, thank you. You just made my life easier. I don't need to do the research. I don't need to hunt down the rancher. I can just know that label says it's okay for me to, it's a guilt-free purchase, if not knowing that I'm contributing to things that are adding value all along the way. So that's really what I want is like, how do we well, just make sure more people know? 
Yeah, there are companies. Unfortunately, I'm not a, like, you You know my history now. I was a ranch wife in the middle of nowhere. I'm not a branding marketing genius, right? And ranchers have a hard time budgeting marketing dollars or to create, you know. So we're not there, but maybe we're on our way that when people see Shanico on the label or an RWS, when they see Nativa Regen dash Shanico, they know it meets the RWS. It comes from this group of ranches in the United States, and it meets these little certifications. So we we are getting there. There are some, but you know how long it takes with your background. You know it takes a long time to move it through and make these these large brands make the shift to get it. So we're working with some, and it's going to come forward. But it's a little early, but there's in the craft sector, for those who craft at home, we've had some really great moves here. One of our leading spinning mills in the United States is called Meridian. Meridian Millhouse has their own yarns, and they carry a lot of Shanico on their website. So when you go to Meridian Millhouse and you Google or search Shanico, you're going to have a whole variety of options in fiber for spinners in yarns for knitters. There's also a very successful yarn company sells at a site called knitpicks.com. They had never had an American yarn until COVID. Everything they sold was imported. And during COVID, they wanted to do something special. They reached to me and they've developed their, this is such a great story, their first American yarn And I introduced them to the spinning mills. So Meridian is spinning it for them, but it's their own high desert yarns at nitpicks.com. It's all Shanico with all kinds of pattern support. And and those are some of the people that have really stepped in and made a commitment to this RWS wool. Mm -hmm. And then we have a young um, designer in Los Angeles who was a luxury hat maker. That's what she's known for. She discovered us and said, I want to do knitwear. So you can find sweaters and accessories by JanessaLeone.com. Her incredible regenerative program. She's been here to the ranch, filmed, made, you know, done photo shoots. She is using Shanico wool. And there will be more coming. There's a lot of young startups that I am, I am matchmaking. I'm a matchmaker <laughs> to U.S. textile supply chains to be able to make their dream come alive with our wool as the base, but tell their own story. And then we have a great sock manufacturer in this country called Defeat, D-E-F-E-E-T. Defeat has shifted all wool sourcing to Shanico. And they have, and these manufacturing partners have all gone through RWS certification too. So there is no doubt that that wool came from our ranches and it's been audited every step of the way. No blending, no mixing, 100% guarantee that authenticity and that confidence and trust is there from those people. And of course, you know, I think um, Ralph Lauren is knitting some sweaters right now with Shanico wool, which I'm not sure when they're going to launch those, but I know that, that they have been, you know, coming to us at least each of the last uh, Winter Olympics. And I think they had some yarn that they're using right now and some sweaters. So, But as more people come online, um, it'll be on our socials, like Instagram and 
Facebook and so on as more companies launch that I really can't talk about because it's their story. It's their story to tell. Yeah. Well, you know, you're such a passionate and heart-led human. And that makes me really want to know when you think of the phrase powerful ladies, like what does it mean to you? And what is, what is being powerful? How would you define that? Well, um, how would I define that? I think, um, basically whether you're a man or a woman, we're all ultimately alone. When it comes down to the human existence and condition, we need each other and it rich, it, and it makes our life richer, but ultimately we're all alone and we have to find our own path toward being comfortable with that. Um, Facing things, finding your way to peace and contentment, regardless of our circumstances or our challenges, Um, facing the things that are fearful to us and walking through them can give us a confidence, which I guess you could perceive as being powerful. But, you know, having control and influence, if there's anything we're going to do, it's for me, I can speak for me. I, I don't have a desire to have control or influence over anyone else. I do have a desire to have some control and influence over my own life. And when things come along, like that impacts business as usual, like when we couldn't sell wool, Mm -hmm. you have a ranch that's 130 years in existence, always selling wool, very proud of the quality of wool that you breed for and care for and deliver. And all of a sudden, nobody wants it. Um, it takes you, you lose control. You, you have no control of that. And so for me, I wanted to find a way to fix it. And I think my previous life experiences gave me the confidence to attempt it. So I mentioned having been an athlete, you learn a lot about, um, you learn a lot about challenges through athletics, um, for one, for me. You learn that we have no idea what we're really capable of. I think when you when you are in training and you push the body to failure, truly to failure, it's great lessons in how our mind limited us. Our mind did not realize what the physical human body was capable of. And if you train at those levels, it teaches you a great deal about what we're capable of that we didn't even know. And following my athletic experiences, I got very, very involved in mountaineering because I've always loved the wilderness. And I had never lived in a town until I went to college. So I was always remote and rural, my life experience. So I'm, I'm, I'm grounded in nature and comfort with nature. And in my mountaineering experiences, I had an incident that was life-changing once in a chute on a mountain trying to make an ascent. And another climber fell. And it was a very bad situation. And it was so frightening that I became paralyzed. Paralyzed in place on a mountain. I couldn't go down. I couldn't go up. I couldn't go anywhere. And it was fear. Fear completely made me immobile. And you can take this parallel lots of places in life. 
But there were some climbing guides that reached me and talked to me. And then they were going to go ahead and ascend to make the summit. And I was so afraid and I didn't want to be alone. Then instead of going down, I went with them and went up. And it was a lesson that I was perfectly capable of physically making that summit. And yet my mind had me paralyzed. And it showed me very tangibly how our minds control our lives. So I guess when I think about the term powerful women, it means taking from our life experiences and walking through ones we may currently be in or that we may find ourselves in in the future, just like my husband's health. You know, I wasn't prepared to be a caregiver. There's nothing in my life had prepared me to be a caregiver. Quite the opposite. Self-reliant, independent. Mm -hmm. um, Didn't have the patience for what was required in caregiving, clear to the end. But you walk through it, and those lessons give us the confidence and the strength to carry on in whatever situation we find ourselves in. So for me, powerful women are those who have learned through our life experiences and are capable of of finding our way to peace and contentment and helping control what's in our own life um, so that our life is richer regardless of where I find ourselves. We find ourselves. Love that. We are into our kind of speed round of questions to wrap up for the day. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you've had so many gems that I'm already like, I'm already in my mind being like, that'd be a great teaser quote. That'd be a great one. But there's just yeah. such richness, this conversation. So thank you. Um, we ask everyone on the podcast where, we, where they put themselves on our powerful lady scale. If zero is everyday human and 10 is the most powerful lady you can imagine, where would you score yourself today and on an average day? Really, I'm not very good at scoring. Um, z- say that again. I have to where, give you give you a number. Yeah, between zero and ten. If zero is the is an average everyday human, and ten is the most powerful lady you can imagine, where would you rank yourself? I, I think of myself as I. It's going to sound. I'm going to use the zero, and I say that because. Um, I, I live in nature every day of my life. And if there's anything that life has taught me, it's, um, and, and I don't want this to be a misinterpreted wrong, but, you know, we are temporary and nature teaches you about our insignificance. And so I'm, I, I would hope to think that I'm very humble and that I appreciate what I've been given. And I hope that I will make the best of every opportunity presented to me to give it all the effort I have, honestly, authentically, and, and always carry my load. But I don't tend to think of myself as a powerful woman. I just simply get it done. You give me a job, I'll get it done. And I will thank God for the opportunity and be grateful for what I've been given. We've been asking everyone kind of what you 
need? What's on your wish list? What's on your manifest list? How can we help you? This is a powerful, connected community. So we're asking you, how can we help? What do you need? What do I need? I need companies to buy Shanika wool. <laughs> I need them to commit to U.S. fibers and hopefully U.S. manufacturing. And I don't know how the audience listening, unless there's someone in the fashion industry that didn't know about us, um, somebody inside one of these companies, you know, it's, you know how, how they change companies. People come and go, you start a relationship, you work it forward. I had a relationship with a very major, major sports brand, a woman who was the director of their global sourcing in one product category, made multiple trips here, had made product samples, were getting ready to move us to launch. COVID hit, she lost her job. The whole thing disappears. You start over. It's really challenging to overcome the offshoring in fashion and textiles. Very hard. And what we need is scaled programs, not just every startup, I'm, although I need them and I love them and they make a difference, but you spend so much effort to send to, to sell 200 pounds of wool compared to 20,000 pounds or 200,000 pounds at a time. Yeah. So, you know, following us on our socials, um, helping us get the attention of people who can make decisions to say yes to wool and yes to the U.S. product. Is, is huge. It's my greatest mm -hmm. challenge. It's the mountain. I can't even see the summit yet. Yep. I'm not even, not, not even nowhere near the top. I can't even see the summit, but I'm still climbing. And for everybody who wants to reach out to you, support you, follow you, buy from you, where can they find all those places? Well, you can go to Shanika Wool Company and follow all our socials. But like I said, I'm not a product company today. So mm -hmm. through our socials, you'll learn about the brands who are using us and the companies and the few I mentioned. So, you know, supporting, um, supporting those companies is really terrific and helps us because they'll reorder. And as yeah. they reorder and grow, then that secures the future of our family ranches who are part of this current Shanika wool effort and growing and those ranches who want to join us, which they will as we grow in the amount of wool that we sell. Well, so. thank you so much for taking your time today to be with us. I am so grateful that you are taking this on and leading the charge in this space. Um, know that you are not alone and we are championing you and it's just, yeah, I love getting to meet women like you who are all in on doing what you know you have been called to do, if not love to do. And you're making a really big difference in a really big way. So um, just thank you. Thank you for doing all that hard work and for being the champion that you are. Well, thank you. Thank you for finding me. Thank you for finding me. People have to find me. And thank you. And thank you for inviting me. I really appreciate it. All the links to connect with Jeannie, Chanico Wool, and the Responsible Wool Standard are in our show notes at thepowerfulladies.com. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you're listening and leave us a rating and review. Come join us on Instagram at Powerful Ladies. And if you're looking to connect directly with me, 
visit caraduffy.com or cara underscore Duffy on Instagram. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode and new amazing guest. Until then, I hope you're taking on being powerful in your life. Go be awesome and up to something you love. <laughs>